Charles, hey, it's so good to be with all of you. Merry Christmas to everyone. And that video got me going, too. I, I, Charles is an amazing dancer. I can't tell you which character he is. You have to tune in over the next few weeks. Um, <clears throat> we are, we're in a series called Unwrapping Christmas. And the, the point of the, this Advent series is simply to bring us to a better understanding of what Christmas is about. And so to do that, we're trying to answer some questions as we go. Last week, we talked about, you know, why gifts. Next week, it'll be why singing. The, the last weekend, the weekend before Christmas, why generosity? Um, but today, what we're going we're gonna to try to answer the question, why family? Um, you know, the, I don't know, is, is there another time of the year, I don't think there is, where we think about family more, we, where we talk more about family getting together. Uh, you're probably making plans or have made plans to have family in and those closest to you, to your place, or you're talking about go to, going to, to a family member's place and... And that's the way it should be. These are the people uh, that God has placed in our lives, our family, whether you like it or not. And I say it like that because, um, you know, every family, even the healthiest of families, have a tinge of dysfunction attached to them, right? And there's this, always this little background sense of tension, sometimes more, sometimes less in some families as we ponder the idea of getting together. The Christmas gathering season can be a really interesting and challenging time. I know we feel that as a family. Maybe you do as well. So we're answering the question, why family? The other, um, <clears throat> the other day, my, my wife and I were watching one of those movies that come out at during the Christmas season. There, there are a number of them. You probably have your, your favorite one. And so we were watching it, and, and I started thinking about some of the other movies that come out during the Christmas season. And I was thinking, you know, all of them, to one degree or another, feature families. And often, as a, a part of that family, or someone close to that family, is someone who has a rather interesting an odd character, even a problematic personality. And I was thinking, maybe like our family, in your family, you have some characters like the ones represented in some of these movies. So let me just roll through a couple of these. Um, maybe in your family you have someone like Cousin Eddie, who just, I don't know, doesn't seem to know boundaries and doesn't have very good manners. Maybe in your family, you have someone who is overly enthusiastic and expects everyone to be just as enthusiastic. Or maybe in your family, you have someone who just never really seems to fit in and just seems to stand out. Maybe in your family, you've got someone who doesn't really know how to control their language or tells inappropriate stories from time to time and, you know... Or maybe there's somebody uh, in your family who is uh, sort of the drama queen, the drama king, and just overreacts to everything. You have your mind going now. Or maybe in some of our families there's somebody like Ebenezer Scrooge, but humbug, I really don't want to be a part of this, but I'll do it anyway. Or maybe there's somebody who wants just to steal the joy out of Christmas. Lastly, maybe there's somebody in your family, there's always someone in a family who just thinks they know everything and they have an answer to everything, like Lucy. I'm done. You get the idea. 
Somebody said, family is like fudge, sweet with a few nuts. And that's true, I think, for a lot of families. But what are you going to do? They're family or like family. And these are the ones God has placed in your life. There you are around the dinner table, past the pecan pie. That's family. We're going to come back to our families uh, in just a little while. But what I want to do is take a few minutes and talk about the family of Jesus, which I think can help us help bring us to a better understanding, a more textured understanding of what families are, why families are important, and then ultimately the meaning of Christmas. This time of year, oftentimes during the Advent season, a passage, a number of passages are read from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And this is one of them. And it goes like this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And I'll come back to the idea of the stump of Jesse in a few moments. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The fruit of of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. We'll skip to verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. That's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. Um, Isaiah is writing this. He writes his book at at a time of great humiliation for the nation of Israel. It was at a point at which the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, Isaiah, when he wrote this, had already experienced the captivity of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians. And he anticipated the same thing would happen to the southern kingdom eventually by the Babylonians. And what Isaiah is saying is that the the tree of Israel, the nation of Israel, the, the, the home of the Jewish faith, had been like a tree had been cut down. And now just a mere stump remained. But like all of the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah no exception, they speak the hard truth, the judgment of God, but they also always give an element of hope. And we just read some of that hope. Someone is coming. Someone is coming. And verse 1 begins like this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. The stump, a cut-down tree. The stump of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse, years before Isaiah, Jesse was the father of David, King David. And it was to King David, God gave the covenant promise that one day through his lineage would come the Messiah, the eternal king. And uh, Isaiah here gives this prophecy. From this, from this chopped down tree of Israel, from this stump of Jesse, will come a shoot that will one day lead to the Messiah. 
who we know as Jesus Christ. If you go all the way to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, to the very last chapter, chapter 22, this is what we read. I, Jesus, am the root, the start, and the offspring, that which came from David, and I am the bright morning star, the source of all new and good things. And that's Jesus. So Isaiah gives us this image of a family tree that eventually leads to the hope of Israel, to the hope of the world, to your hope and my hope, right? Family tree. The other day I was speaking with a a good friend, and he has made it his goal. It's a great goal to read through the entire Bible. Some people try to read through the Bible in a year. He says, this is like my three- or four-year plan. And, uh, but he just finished reading through the Old Testament. Good for him. And so I, I asked him, I was curious. I said, well, what was, your, what was your favorite part of reading through the Old Testament? And he said, it was reading the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms. And I thought, well, I understand that. Those are great books to read through. I said, well, then what was your least favorite as you read through the Old Testament? He said, oh, that's easy. It was the genealogies, the list of names. And I thought, well, that's no surprise either. He was so glad to reach the New Testament. But ironically, ironically, the New Testament begins with the Gospel of Matthew. And the Gospel of Matthew, in the very first chapter, the very first page, the very first words, begins with what? A genealogy, a list of names. He couldn't get away from it. And what Matthew does in his first chapter is give a a genealogical tracing of the family tree of Jesus through Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. And he traces it all the way back in chapter 1, 1 through 16, all the way from Jesus, 42 generations back to Abraham. It's a long list of names. And as you read through this long list of names, and we're not going to take time to do that. You can look at it at some point. But as you read through this long list of names in this family tree of Jesus, you realize some important theology. That Jesus is not just fully God. He is fully human. And with being fully human comes a whole tree of fully human relatives. I mean, Jesus had human relatives that would make Cousin Eddie and the Scrooge and the Grinch look rather tame. Jesus had relatives who would make your story and my story seem rather tame. What I'd like to do is just give you some samples from this family tree of Jesus, going from Abraham all the way to Jesus. So let's start with Abraham. He's the grand patriarch of the nation of Israel, the Jewish faith. Abraham did nothing special to be chosen by God. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you realize Abraham actually came from a family of idol worshipers, a family of idolaters. But God chose Abraham, and Abraham chose to believe God, and because of his belief in God was reckoned as righteous. Following the lineage, we can't deal with every name, of course. We come to Jacob. Jacob was a, he he spent a lifetime of deception. He was a serial deceiver. 
And yet, he was the one who, who wrestled with God. He was the one who sought God's blessings. He was the one who believed in God. Following the list, you come to David. What's David known for? I mean, not just spells of pride, but also an adulterer and an accomplice in murder. And yet we're told in Scripture that he had a heart for God. And it was from David comes the eternal king, Jesus. David had a son named Solomon. Solomon was the result of, of, of the adulterous affair David had. But Solomon, he was known as the wisest, smartest man on earth. And he articulated his faith so well, wrote much of the book of Proverbs. And yet in Scripture, you, it's hard to find anyone who made poorer, worse choices and decisions than Solomon. And yet he believed in God. Now, let me just stop there for a moment, pause there for a moment. Each of these mentioned were chosen by God. They're, 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 they were chosen by God. Their belief was in God, and yet they were riddled with imperfections and flaws. But after this list of men, Matthew does something rather interesting. You know, back in those days when you were listing when you were tracing a genealogy, when you're drawing a family tree, when you're giving the list of family names, for whatever reason, you did not mention women. Only the males were mentioned in the tree. I don't know why. But Matthew breaks the rules. And in this family tree of Jesus, he mentions Tamar. What an interesting story she is. She acted like a prostitute to scam her father-in-law, Judah, who is also in the family tree, who had his whole who had his own list of issues, but he was declared righteous because of his greater love and faithfulness to God. Or she was. And then, then there's Bathsheba. Her name is not mentioned, but she's mentioned as the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba is the one who had adultery with David, and through her and David comes the line of Christ. And then there is Ruth. We studied her book, just an entire book, in the Bible, named after her last spring. Ruth was a Moabite. She came from the land of Moab. They were the descendants of immoral Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham. She was a complete outsider. And yet she marries Boaz, marries into the Israelite clan, and through them comes the eventual Messiah. And then last, there's Rahab. She owned a brothel, ran a brothel in the city of Jericho, but delivered the city of Jericho over to the Israelites because she believed in God. That's all I'll mention. There are many more. I want to ask you a question. Why, why would Matthew break the rules and include these women in his genealogy? Not just these women, but women with some interesting, odd, even sinful pasts and backgrounds and histories. And added to these are the men that I just mentioned. Same. Why would Matthew include this at the very beginning of his gospel, these names? Why, why would Matthew include this ultimately at the very beginning of the New Testament? 
I'll give you an answer. It is because we are to think of God in a new way. Many of us in this room, many people in the world, are raised to think that before God would ever look my way and love me, I need to clean up my past. I need to get my act together. I need to somehow uh, uh, put my past far behind me. Or maybe I need to come from a particular religious pedigree or have a particular background before God would ever look at me and say, I love you. In this family tree of Jesus, from the stump of Jesse, we see the, the very heart of God. The family tree of Jesus is filled with tarnished and tainted people filled with people who have made poor choices and bad decisions all along the way. Many who were outsiders and outcasts in every way. But in their brokenness, in their frailty, in their shortcomings, by God's grace, through their faith in God, they were woven and grafted into the family tree of God. So Matthew wants us to understand that if these people can be part of the family tree of Jesus, so can you, and so can I. Regardless of where we've been, what we've done, who we are, there is hope for us. That's why they call it the gospel. Good news. <clears throat> Recently, I've been reading through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, slowly, and, and recently, too, I came across the end of chapter 12. And I thought, well, I need to include this story in this topic of why family. These are the words from the end of Matthew chapter 12. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus asked, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is not saying that our blood relatives are unimportant. In fact, we could look at other points in Scripture and see that Jesus carried deep, cared deeply for his blood relatives. What Jesus is doing here is giving us the meaning of Christmas. That Jesus came into the world to invite us into a personal relationship with God. That Jesus came into the world to invite us into God's family. And, you know, Matthew was sitting here when Jesus spoke these words. Do you know the story of Matthew? If you go back to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew was a tax collector, tax collector, one of the most hated people groups in all of society. He collected taxes for the Romans. People hated people like Matthew. But here's Matthew who has come out of the shadows, out of his past, and, 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 and answered the call of Jesus, come and follow me. And Jesus believed. 
And here Jesus is saying to, to Matthew and the other disciples and followers, you are my family. You are in the family of God. And it's not just Matthew. It's down through history. It's the Rahabs and the Ruths and the Tamars and the Solomons and the Davids. It's the people like Cousin Eddie and the Grinch and Scrooge and others. It's like you and me with all of our imperfections, with all of our flaws. We're called by God and we believe and now we are grafted. We are brought into the family of God in spite of all of our sketchy backgrounds. Being a part of the family of God has never been a matter of what family you are born into. It has always been a matter of being born again. Being a part of the family of God has never been a part been about blood. It's been about belief. And so Jesus says the same thing to us today that he said back then. Come. Follow me. Believe in me. Enjoy my family. That's the family of God. Now, we're in this series called Unwrapping Christmas, and the question is, why family? I was thinking about the question, why family? It's kind of a hard question to answer in a way, but I have a a couple of thoughts and a couple of challenges to bring us to a close. And, and, And the first thought is this. We are called to open our hearts to Jesus. Have you done that? Years ago, when I first became a Christian, this is a lot of years ago now, I came across a verse that I thought, I need to memorize that verse because that settles my heart. That settles my soul. That reminds me that I'm actually in the family of God. I didn't know we were going to show this verse last week, but this is the kind of verse that you want to see over and over because it reminds you of who we are in Christ. And it goes like this. But to all who believed him, who believed in Jesus, accepted him, accepted Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. And I wonder, have you done that? Have you believed in Jesus and accepted Jesus? This is what brings you into the family of God. This is what makes you born again. And I don't know what kind of family you were, earthly family you were born into. It might be a family of tremendous dysfunction, or it might be completely the opposite, or somewhere in between. But I can tell you that through faith in Christ, in Jesus. We are brought into the family of God, and now God becomes our Father who loves us unconditionally, which means we can't do anything to make God love us less or love us more. When we come into the family of God, Jesus becomes our brother who stands with us. When we come into the family of God, the Holy Spirit unites us with other believers around the world and with other believers right here within this room. Whatever once was your identity, whatever that might have been, now it is replaced and supplanted by your identity in Christ. You are a member of God's family. All sin and shame is washed away simply because of God's grace through your belief. So, as a family, we kneel together at the manger and say, thank you for coming, Jesus. We stand at the cross 
and say, thank you for taking my place. As a family, we look to the future and wait for Jesus to come again. And between this day and that day when he comes again, another challenge would be this, to open your heart to others. I recently came across a tweet by Andy Stanley that I've been gnawing on ever since I saw it, and it simply goes like this. The more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less, I aware, the less aware I am and the less consumed I am by what he has yet to do in the people around me. So I, I think about the family members in my life, those closest to me, the Cousin Eddies, the Grinches, the Scrooges, the Lucys, and so on, and I, I just... It may be the same as in your life. Maybe it's simpler than that or maybe more complex than that. But for, for, reason, for reasons God alone knows, he's brought those people into your life. They are a part of your life. And you may want that family member or that person closest to you to change in the worst way. You may be consumed with them changing. Wanting them to change. But maybe instead we should be consumed with, with, with the grace that we've been shown, the, the mercy we've been shown, the, the, the love we've been shown, the, the, the forgiveness we've been shown by God, through Christ, by His grace simply through our belief, and he has brought us into the family of God. Now, that's an amazing thing. Should we be consumed about that? Yes, we should. And maybe then, maybe then, with those family members who are like the ones that we struggle maybe with most, we can reflect that same grace we've received, that same love we received, that same forgiveness we received, that same mercy we've received. Yes, you are not where you, where I would like you to be, but I will love you and, and keep that relational door open with you because God can change your life as well and bring you into his family as well. You know, uh, Scripture paints an interesting picture that one day we as a family of God, followers of Jesus, one day we will all be together in heaven at this eternal heavenly banquet table. And Jesus will be our host. And at this table, Scripture tells us there will be people of every color, Colors not represented in this room. Languages, languages not represented in this room. Ethnicities, socioeconomic status. People just not like, but, but followers of Christ around this heavenly banquet table. And Jesus said, between that day and this day, I want you to come to a different table. It's called the Lord's table. It's the table of communion is what we call it typically. And that's what we're going to do here in a moment.
when you came in, you, you should have received a little cup with the juice and the bread. If you didn't receive that, just raise your hand and somebody will bring one to you. Raise your hand high. In a moment, we're going to sing together. In a moment, we're going to sing together and take communion. And I don't want you to wait for me. You can take the bread and the juice whenever you're ready. But allow the the music and the words to guide you in prayer. What a perfect time. What a perfect time to say thank you, Jesus, for making it possible for me to be a part of God's family. And Jesus, would you help me to follow you and to love people around me just as you love them. We're to do this now until Jesus comes again. We look back and we look forward to when he will come. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this represents my body given for you. Whenever you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. And God, thank you now for this opportunity to remember. We are grateful that you have done for us through Christ what we could never do for ourselves. Amen. I'm so glad I'm a part of